0: StoryGram Network.
1: The content and products discussed in this program have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration, nor are they intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Any decisions made around your health should be discussed with your health practitioner. Welcome to Body Talk Radio. I'm your host, Heather Morgan, health and human potential master coach and edutainment curator. I started Body Talk over a decade ago in order to achieve my mission of educating and inspiring millions to a healthier way of living. Body Talk Radio is more than just a radio show. It's your gateway to information and education relevant to today's most important health topics delivered by top thought leaders, influencers, and world changers in the health and human potential space. If you love great health talk, listen in and join the community. Get educated, get inspired, and become a healthier you. So excited for my guest today. We have Dr. Michael Ruscio in the house with us today. Dr. Ruscio is a doctor of natural medicine, doctor of chiropractic, clinical researcher, and author. His work has been published in peer-reviewed medical journals, and he is a committee member of the naturopathic board of gastroenterology research division. I could really go on, but I want everybody to really understand that I've been trying to get Dr. Ruscio on the show here for a while for a reason. He knows the gut. He knows interventions for the gut and, and, I Honestly, I don't think I run into anybody today that doesn't have a gut issue. So super, super important. And and he's the person that I wanted to come on and, and address you all today. Dr. Ruscio, thank you so much for joining our community today and, and giving us your time.
0: Yeah, thank you for that warm intro. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, yeah, it's my pleasure. So I have to say that professionally here in the Bay Area, so I just let everybody know, because this show is live in the Bay Area, that Dr. Michael Ruscio is actually located in, you're in Walnut Creek, correct?
0: Correct.
1: Yeah. So you actually have a, a, a clinic there and where you see yep. patients. Yep. If anybody does feel that they want to see you, they have access to you, which is really, really great. And then all of you podcasters out there, you can reach Dr. Ruscio online, which is DrRuscio, dot com. Great website, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So I wanted to bring you on the show to talk about a few topics specific to gut health. But I want to start off here in the first segment talking about... In general, why why is it that just about everybody today has a gut that's messed up?
0: Great question, a very important question, and there's many strikes against us just living in our society that hinder our gut health. Right. The shortened duration of breastfeeding, or in some cases, no breastfeeding, mm-hmm. cesarean section birthing, both mm-hmm. of these things reduce that. Early life crucial exposure to bacteria that help colonize the gut and help tune the immune system. Antibiotic use, especially antibiotic use early in life, can be a problem. Our clean environments, which on the one hand are helpful in in some ways, there's less um, colonization with parasitic organisms. Mm -hmm. Although how we define a parasite that's being challenged and changed a little bit of late, but. There's less of that, these things that we may see in the third world, but a unintended side effect of that may be that those organisms may have actually helped tune our immune systems, And now Mm. the immune system is a bit hyperreactive. And then you carry that into adulthood, stress, poor sleep, processed foods, not enough consumption of unprocessed, whole fruits and vegetables and and the fiber and prebiotics that they contain, and maybe more antibiotics if someone's gotten sick and they're trying to preempt or treat a secondary bacterial infection. Mm -hmm. So all these things kind of cascade to lead to what may be 30% global incidence of IBS and if we factor in other non-IBS conditions I don't know mm. exactly what those stats break down to but I'm guessing we're going to get close to 50% to yeah. your earlier point everyone Easy. is you know almost everywhere I go someone says mm. oh I've got a gut mm. thing or my husband or my wife or my cousin or whoever so yeah it's really really quite prevalent Mhm Seriously And why that's so important maybe to tie to the next part of your question mm-hmm. is the short list here is this is where you absorb your nutrients of course The other thing that I think people don't fully understand uh, or appreciate is the largest density of immune cells in your entire body is in your small intestine. And why that's relevant is the immune system is arguably the primary driver of inflammation in your body. So if we all understand how inflammation is bad, well, then we should, and it's really insightful too, tie it back to that your gut might be the primary driver of inflammation in your body.
1: Absolutely makes so much sense. So, all right. So with that, and given that, I'm sure people are listening in and kind of wanting to know what to do about it. And they're going to have to wait to our last segment for that. But I, people today talk about bloating a lot. They talk about pains in literally pain in the gut. And like I said, just about everybody, I think whether they have like burps or gassy or bloating or just indigestion in general, People just live with this. They don't even realize it's happening, honestly. I think people have gotten so just accustomed to not feeling well and not really hearing the signs that they're getting from their body because the reason my show is called Body Talk is your body will talk to you, right, in one way, shape, or form, right? You'll get a rash or you'll get a headache or you'll get gas or bloating or pains. So I just want everybody who's listening to really just think for a moment about your digestive health and think about your eating habits, and think about your day-to-day, whether you might have intermittent diarrhea or constipation or gassiness or bloating or whatever, when you really start to think about it, I think just about everybody would realize, yeah, mm, I've got something going on.
0: Yeah, it's a a great point. It's it's definitely very important to about those things are your stools sometimes really loose uh, or do you sometimes have a hard time moving your bowels or do you have right. a feeling of bloating distension or pain or reflux and, mm-hmm. and then the other thing that you know the, the wonderful thing that kind of follows that is once you start queuing in on these things yeah oftentimes the joint pain that you also have oh why is my neck sore Why is my back sore yes. why do i feel like i pulled this muscle that you know, i can never figure out why or why do i sleep really poorly sometimes or why do i have these weird skin breakouts mm-hmm. not all of those things but a fair amount of those actually tie back to that inflammation from the gut and, and so that's the wonder of this is wow my stools are better and i'm sleeping better and i have better energy you know? yes. that's really wonderful
1: And so glad you said that, because that's exactly where I was going with this, is that our gut, you know, when I said, you know, your body talks to you, it may be headaches, right? It may be mood and energy. It might be um, poor sleep or, like you said, immune dysfunction, um, other things that, you know, we don't really correlate to being rooted in our gut, but so often are. And just like you said, if, if. A poor gut environment is triggering inflammation throughout the body we're going to feel those aches and pains throughout the body, and we're going to have those signals coming from all kinds of places so we don't really think this is our gut or the problem could be solved by addressing our gut um and that's really an important message that I kind of wanted to carry forward today because um it's global you know i just we we think of our health now more holistically, but you know and and globally and and I just want people to understand that. You know, one, you got to tune in and listen, right, to your body. But two, whatever's going on, likely it could be associated with your gut. And then, of course, that extends out to your lifestyle habits and things that might be um, compromising your gut, right?
0: 100%. And and um, I mean, I guess two comments. One, really quick, uh, mm-hmm. is that... I look at health almost like a, like a pyramid. We, we have the foundation, which is your diet and your lifestyle. And mm-hmm. I think everyone kind of is on board with that now. Right. Right, some people need to do a better job of sleep or exercise or diet mm-hmm. than others, but we all kind of get that concept.
1: Yeah, of course. But where I
0: think, where we go off the rails... Is if those are in place, if you're eating a generally healthy diet, if you're sleeping, if you're if you're having enjoyment and relaxation in your life and exercise, right. but you're still not feeling well, then it's kind of like the wild west. Well, it could be thyroid or metals or right. toxins or this or that. And the, the one thing I'd I'd hope to impart upon people, if nothing else through this conversation, is if you can make the next step some endeavors to optimize your gut health. There's an excellent chance you'll see a resolution of your symptoms. It's not a guarantee, but if we're looking at this probabilistically, Mm. then the highest probability is your gut is the unbeknownst cause of those symptoms you're still plagued Mm. with after addressing your diet and lifestyle
1: thousand percent. Could not agree more. I I really, really agree. And then, you know, when we talk about, you know, diagnostics, right. And, you know, people may have that, you know, autoimmune condition going on or depression and anxiety. They might have, you know, brain fog, aches and pains, whatever, not be thinking that it's related at all to their gut. However, um, I know that you do lots of diagnostic tests and things like that sort of to look beyond and deeper than, say, that autoimmune condition that's happening to really be able to assess how and why the gut might be related. And could you talk to us about what you find clinically in practice with someone coming to you, say, with, you know, saying, I have, you know, Hashimoto's or whatever. And like, how does that link back to the gut? What do you see more often than not?
0: Um, I'm so glad you used the Hashimoto's example because um, maybe second to imparting on people the understanding that if you've gotten your diet and lifestyle where it should be and you're still not feeling well, the next step should be investigating and optimizing your gut health. The the second lesson I'd hope to impart is that it's really common for people to think that there's a thyroid problem. And I think this is maybe because on the internet, the algorithm of Google maybe is just quick to offer that up as a solution because so many conditions have overlapping symptoms. So- right. Um, you right. know, Google is not a good doctor. Uh, and and mm-hmm. um it is it is pretty disheartening mm-hmm. that patients come in routinely now, <laughs> I mean, really being misdiagnosed as hypothyroid, right and They've been put on various medications, mm-hmm. and, and this is because of some obscure marker that's not diagnostic. And it's like, if we look hard enough, we can find something wrong. Mm-hmm. But that one thing wrong is not diagnostic right. of a disease of the gland. Um, right. And they flounder with these different medications mm-hmm. and thyroid protocols. And it's not to say that those issues don't exist, they do. Mm-hmm. But probabilistically that's closer to maybe four to 5% of the population rather than maybe 20% for IBS It's just you know one relative comparison. Um, And then when we finally attend to their gut health, they see in a few months the improvements they've been trying to realize in years. And and this has gotten so prevalent that even in the monthly newsletter I write for doctors, other doctors are now seeing this in their clinics. They've seen this mistake, corrected it in patients, and they've even written case studies and submitted Uh. them back to the newsletter to kind of close the circle that this can be replicated by other clinicians and, sadly, it's incredibly prevalent. Um, So I just want to underscore that that's common and it happens quite a bit. So um, it's important, I would say, again, using your your example of Hashimoto's Mm. to understand that you can have Hashimoto's. Right. But you, you can also have your symptoms at the same time be coming from your gut and your Hashimoto's may not be a huge issue and, and there's a little mm-hmm. bit of nuance with Hashimoto's um, and improving one's gut health to some extent has been shown loosely to improve Hashimoto's but I think the bigger miss is that when people are told they have Hashimoto's it's almost like this narrow tunnel vision yes everything in my life is now examined through the, the guise of thyroid and they miss their gut as mm-hmm. the driver of the symptoms and we have studies we have studies showing that things like depression and mm-hmm. fatigue very right. common quote unquote thyroid symptoms can be remedied mm-hmm. by addressing one's gut health via either a probiotic in one of these research uh, examples or a low FODMAP diet in another um right. so again it's not to say that the thyroid problems don't exist like Hashimoto's or hypo or hyper thyroid mm-hmm. they do mm-hmm. but what's what's really disconcerting to me is someone gets, let's say they they do have hypothyroid, mm-hmm. they get put on in for lack of a better term entry- level medication, let's right. say levothyroxine right. or synthroid. Mm-hmm. and they're not they're still not feeling fully well after that. And then the, back to that tunnel vision analogy, they go deeper and deeper and deeper down that rabbit hole all the while we have evidence showing that the fatigue or the depression, can be improved by gut interventions and exactly. unfortunately those patients oftentimes spend years in the mm-hmm. thyroid cam until they take a lateral look at their gut finally mm-hmm. make those changes and see improvements in just a few months.
1: Seriously, and I hear these I hear this over and over and over and I've you know seen it in in the professional work that I do and um and then clinicians such as yourself there's just so much out there now to show, um, you know, clinically and research-wise that um, addressing the gut really, no matter what um, health conditions you have going on, is, is is likely going to make some sort of an improvement. And let me ask you this question, sort of reverse it then. Have you seen anyone clinically where when you've addressed their gut, things did not improve? Um, their, I guess their health, did not improve, or would that ever be a situation where that would happen?
0: Yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll see that, but it's it's much more rare. That that right. would be, um, I would say, in my clinic, ninety percent of people we get their gut right, and everything else falls into place.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Whereas you know, there's that ten percent where they may have something else going on. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty proximal to, I think, you know as best I can just um, yeah. kind of estimate here, how this plays out about you know a, a 90% to 10% differential.
1: Yeah, the other thing is um, hormonal imbalances, right? I know we talked about inflammation, which is huge, right? Gosh, we, we know we are an inflammation nation. We just don't, right? Inflammation is a huge issue. We now know that that's related to the gut. Hormones, and, and male hormones in particular, um, Tell us how that might be affect Oh, I'm getting I'm getting the word we gotta take a break. So can we pick back up after the break and talking about hormones and hormone imbalances? Absolutely. Perfect. So hang tight, Doctor Ruscio. Hang tight. Everybody else out there listening, we've got some good conversation coming up. We're with Dr. Michael Ruscio today talking about gut health and we'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back today. We've got Dr. Michael Ruscio in the house. I am so glad to have you on board here with us in our community today. It's been a while. We've really been wanting to have you on the show. Truly one of the top gut health experts here in the US, in my opinion. Dr. Ruscio, we talked before the break. We were talking about sort of reasons why everybody today is experiencing in one form or another some sort of gut-related issue. And you helped really unpack for us why that could be. And then we talked about the health conditions. We're going to continue this segment talking about those. Wanted to talk a little bit because you don't hear much about male hormones. And I have read and heard that male hormones may be affected by poor gut. And can you tell us about that a little bit?
0: Yeah, great question. And this is an area where I don't believe we have great research in the sense that for us to have good evidence on a question, researchers have to be interested enough to to do a a number of studies on this given topic. There are some inferential studies that answer some of these questions. And I'll come to those in one second. But unless I've missed them, and I, I haven't, Dove incredibly deeply into this mm-hmm. niche specifically. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a lot published showing that men, let's say with IBS, irritable right. bowel syndrome, gas, yeah. bloating, yeah. Um, what have you, are more prone to have low testosterone. I, I haven't yeah. seen that.
1: Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh.
0: However, however, and, and this is this is, I think, a fairly safe inference to draw. We there is evidence showing that men who have IBS are more likely to have erectile dysfunction. Right, that's right. So it depends what you care about more, the lab marker or maybe one of the end results that you're trying to optimize sure. for. And the same thing has also been found in men with inflammatory bowel disease, a higher incidence of erectile dysfunction. It's not to say that erectile dysfunction is, slow, is solely dictated by mm-hmm. hormone levels, right. but this may come back to to this kind of broader and very easy to understand that if someone is inflamed and essentially right. not healthy, That's right. many things may not work well from there. And, and one of the speculations, I just try to be really careful about what we really know and what is yeah. more so speculation. Of course. One of the speculations, which is likely true, at least to a degree, is that inflammation may steer a man's testosterone more towards, excuse me, the aromatization pathway where they make estrogen. Yeah. No, I don't know that that's that's been mm-hmm. you know super robustly you. connected to IBS, but right. w- the most important thing is that we see negative male sexual health related outcomes tied to poor mm-hmm. gut health, mm-hmm. IBS, and erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. The mechanism we can infer might be that inflammation from the gut mm-hmm. may be negatively perturbing the ability of testosterone to stay as testosterone Mm -hmm. rather than being converted Mm -hmm. into estrogen and also the gut bacteria do play a role in detoxification of estrogen so that's another mechanism
1: Um, so an
0: area where i think we have more to learn but there's definitely a few interesting connections here
1: yeah glad you brought up detoxification and another thing that i wanted to bring up quickly is nutrient status so in general i mean if we really just boil this down to simple terms here people, if your gut is inflamed, you're probably not going to absorb the nutrients from your food as well and as easily. So over time, then you will have complications, right? Health issues related to lack of nutrients. Is that correct, Dr. Ruscio?
0: Yeah, we do see that the best evidence for GI conditions leading to malabsorption is with inflammatory bowel disease, which is a pretty, as the name would suggest, severe manifestation of inflammation in the yeah. gut. Yeah. Yeah. So so far as to be a autoimmune condition. Those with IBS may be more prone to this. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you will see in some in IBS is weight loss. And, and so there's likely global malabsorption if someone's mm-hmm. really underweight. Sometimes that's not so much so because of malabsorption, but People may feel so sick when they eat, they're just under eating, but it still kind of leads you to the same territory where if you're eating and you're not absorbing, you can become malnourished. Or if your gut is so reactive that you limit yourself to six foods, you end up also being malnourished, not by malabsorption, but by just malnutrition or or just limitations in what you eat
1: very very true. So bringing in my personal story here just a little bit, I have Lyme disease got diagnosed about a year ago, mold toxicity as well. And the Lyme is commonly associated with gut issues for sure. In fact, my first symptoms of Lyme was actually in the gut. All of a sudden started having lots of gut issues and that wasn't typical for me. And then over time, worse, 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 trying to figure out what was really going on with me. And so here I was finally getting all these diagnostics done. Okay, so took a test, have SIBO, right? And which is obviously I actually turned to you and to your podcast to learn a little bit more because this is a topic in an area that you know a lot about and very much an expert in. And I found your elemental diet, which I found to be incredibly, incredibly helpful. So I want to make sure that we talk about that and talk about some of the protocols and supplements that you use. But I want to talk about SIBO first, because a lot of the consumers out there, a lot of the people listening may not know what SIBO is, but it's super, I think it's pretty common. Could you talk a little bit about it?
0: Well, well, thank you. I'm I'm glad that the elemental was helpful. And yes, SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And this, as the name suggests, is when there is too much bacteria in the small intestine. Some more contemporary research is suggesting it may not be strictly an overgrowth, but rather an imbalance or what's known as dysbiosis. Right. If someone goes and reads up on it, they may hear controversy regarding SIBO, which is true. This is when we get down into the minutiae. Right. But there does seem to be a somewhat general consensus, and this means the Northern American experts, consensus, the Rome Foundation consensus so America and Europe, when expert panels are convened, this is a condition that's recognized. It's yeah. recognized to various degrees the diagnostic criteria differs from place to place but we, we see that this is a legitimate condition and something that can cause the very symptoms of IBS in some folks the, the yeah. gas the yep. abdominal pain, the altered bowel function, whether it be constipation, diarrhea, or perhaps an oscillation between the two. And so this is typically tested by a breath test. Mm-hmm. I do see one fairly prevalent problem I want to cue people in on because uh, you know I try to strike this balance where there's so much that we can offer to yeah. people from the natural medicine community, mm. but there's also some things that need to be reexamined and kind of bridled back a little bit. So we have to find that correct balance between being progressive and open-minded, but also not just believing what anyone tells us or just parroting things that may not Mm. be fully true. And so with the SIBO test, the breath test, Mm -hmm. there's a predilection to over-interpret those or, or read them as what's known as a false positive, meaning the lab printout or the lab results mm. will list you as a positive, but mm-hmm. you actually don't have a positive because you mm-hmm. can't rely on the machine to fully interpret the results. Sure. So that is mm-hmm. something to be careful about. So just to cue people in on that. So then do you um,
1: look towards the symptoms to kind of pair that? Do you just have like a full diagnostic? When you actually diagnose someone with SIBO, would you then say, well, they do have All of these symptoms presenting, these are their lab results. This is how they react when they eat certain foods. Pretty likely, this is what's going on.
0: Exactly. What I typically tell people here is lab tests are a third or maybe a fourth of the information that we need Mm -hmm. to decide what we do with an individual. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because there can be false positives, meaning the Mm -hmm. lab said you had it, but you actually don't, or there can be Mm -hmm. false negatives where Mm -hmm. you or according to labs, don't have it, but you may actually have the Mm. the issue. So Mm -hmm. the lab testing in much of the area of GI, gastroenterology, this kind of functional area, Mm -hmm. is not perfect. So Mm. this is important because some people will get one breath test positive and, and cling to that and should not be looked at as such. There's a lot we can do to rectify these things. So the lab testing gives us some information. Also, just like you said, the person's history and their symptoms and even more important still, their response to therapeutics are all highly relevant in informing what we do for that individual.
1: Ah, absolutely makes sense. A hundred percent. That's really important because I think that there's a lot of people who are uncomfortable out there. I mean, they're really experiencing discomfort and they do go to the doctor and a lot of times they don't get resolve. But as a functional diagnostician and doing what you do, I think that typically the therapeutics that you use seem to get more resolved than, say, what somebody may get when they go to the regular doctor. Not saying that there's not a place for all, because there is, but I highly recommend that if people are having a lot of GI discomfort, that they see a practitioner such as yourself that just approaches it slightly differently. And maybe you can speak to that. Maybe you can speak to how you approach it versus, say, someone that might go to the regular GI doctor.
0: Sure. Uh, It's it's a great question. And I think it's best for someone to have one doctor on each side of the proverbial fence, Uh just because... There will, of course, be some overlap, but there's definitely differences between how I'm practicing and how a conventional gastroenterologist is practicing. I am not concerned with screenings for colorectal cancer or some of these frank medical diseases that have a certain screening algorithm and should be looked for. We don't ever want to have anything found there, Mm. but for many of these... Early detection is very, very helpful from a prognostic standpoint, meaning mm-hmm. if you nip it early, mm-hmm. then you have a much better road. That's much more of a worst case scenario. Let's hope nothing there is ever found.
1: Right. But we don't
0: want to turn a blind eye to that. Sure. Why I think sometimes people do, even though they shouldn't, is because they don't feel like they're heard and they also don't feel like there's enough of a consideration about the symptoms. that they're having that is interfering with their quality of life Mm. and that's where on the other side you know we come in and I I look at this as something that should be more collaborative rather than us versus them I think we both have our specialties and and we're all there on the team Mm. for the individual to get them to where they're feeling better but some of these symptoms of well I, I eat and then I have brain fog oftentimes a gastroenterologist may not be super cued in on that right and I don't think that's any fault of their own, they're in a different practice model, right? right? And their clinic isn't set up for that. They have different boxes that they're trying to check and things they're trying to clear. So this right. is why you have one person on, on each side of the fence who has an area of specialty in these two different focuses. Right. And to your question, those are the things we really cue in on. Like, oh, okay, you're having food-reactive brain fog. That is definitely a thing. That is something that can be remedied. It's like something that I had myself. And that can be debilitating. Mm -hmm. Now, is that a disease? No. There's not a diagnostic code for it. It can't really plug into the insurance system. So it's challenging I think from a conventional perspective to really grapple with that. So again, why we want to have two different people who both care about you and have your best interest in mind, but who are from different kind of paradigms, be able to look at that. And so Mm. those are the sorts of things that someone in, in functional and or natural medicine is going to cue in on. You eat and you have bloating or you have food reactive brain fog or you have oscillation of your bowels and you also don't sleep well Mm -hmm. and the training here does vary from provider to provider but how do we use diet to rectify this how can we Mm -hmm. use probiotics and this is where a gastroenterologist may say yeah try a little fodmap or try a Mm -hmm. probiotic Mm -hmm. but it's more of a i do something different these things may help and i don't really have a ton else to provide you Whereas. I'm using a few different probiotics daily with most patients, and we really kind of have that as one of our primary tools, Sure, and we we understand how to use that. So hopefully that kind of answers your question. There's a a lot to unpack there with the whole practice model, but we essentially are looking to really hone in on the person's history and their symptoms and figure out how do we use food, supplements, and medications only sparingly to try to really cultivate a healthier body, uh, a healthier gut with an individual so that all the secondary symptoms just kind of melt away.
1: That was great. No, I think that it was really, really important that you pointed out that we're just dealing with two separate models here, and they work really well together in complementary. And so we're going to go ahead and take our break and listen to our sponsors, and then we'll be right back, everybody, so hang tight. And then I'd love to talk in the next segment about therapeutics. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we are back with Dr. Michael Ruscio today. We are talking all things gut health and with one of the best experts here in the country. I've been wanting to have Dr. Ruscio with us for quite a while. Appreciate you being here. All right. So, Dr. Ruscio, I wanted to finish the show out talking more about interventions, approaches, protocols, therapeutics, things that help people to get well. This is your practice approach and you personally have worked with many different types of therapeutics and actually created your own. I want to hear a little bit about your approach, how you're doing it, what you're doing it. But I wanted to have you on to talk in particular about the elemental diet, because I found your elemental diet to be so helpful. And then we can talk as well about probiotics in general and things like that.
0: The elemental diet, what's really interesting about this is I was speaking at the SIBO symposium. This was in 2018 or 19. And I was on a a panel with a few other really smart people who I respect, and I I was Mm -hmm. kind of sharing some of how I was looking at and using the elemental diet. And it was interesting to observe that these were things that even the experts next to me who had such a high level of uh, training and skill and knowledge, Mm -hmm. they just seemed to not be attuned to using Mm -hmm. the elemental diet. And I think there's a a few reasons why. I think maybe the, the primary reason is that up until recently, the only formula that was widely available, vitamin X plus, was only available, firstly, as a prescription, so it made it harder mm. to access for patients.
1: Right.
0: But more importantly, it tastes terribly. <laughs> I mean, very, very bad. Oh. And so what, well, I think what happened was that observation permeated the community, and people said, well, you can't ask a patient to do an elemental diet. These pre-made meal replacements, they just taste terrible. Yeah. But, but they didn't realize that formula could be recreated in a more savory <laughs> fashion. And that's why I'm so proud of, of the elemental diets that we've made. Uh, not only do we have ones that are available without a prescription, just over-the-counter, we also have two novel versions, a a lower-carb version and a weight-free version, weight-protein-free version, that are the only available without a doctor's note on the market, because there's no need for a meal replacement to be prescription only. I just think there was some weird, one company picked it up, and it was being used in the hospital, and because it was being used in the hospital in really severe cases, it was only given out under prescription, so just because of those inception points, it got in this camp of horrid tasting, severe cases only, prescription only, but it, essentially what we're looking at here with an elemental diet to kind of define it mm. is a pre-digested meal replacement shake. So you have proteins, fats, and carbs, just like many of the shakes that people would typically make from whole foods or whatever, or with an important nuance that it's hypoallergenic and the proteins, fats, and carbs are semi or pre-digested. And what's so important about this is because they're pre-digested, your digestive system doesn't have to work hard to break them down. And this is why we see in patients who are highly inflamed, like those with inflammatory bowel disease, elemental diets have been shown to be as effective as the steroid prednisone in quelling the inflammation seen in those conditions. So these are a a powerful and simple way of resetting the gut, quelling inflammation, and allowing a rapid boost of healing. And thankfully, now they're available without a doctor's prescription, and they have a, a flavor profile and a taste that It's pretty darn good and not anything that people would have to kind of hold their noses for.
1: It really, really is. And I was so afraid that I was just going to have to sort of just get through it. But no, it's very good. In fact, I actually liked it. So, And I have to say that that whole concept of having something that's pre-digested, broken down so that when you do consume it, There's very, very, very little work required by the digestive system, thus giving the digestive system a break. So that's really the whole point behind this, right? and i just got to the point where i just knew like intuitively like gosh i just need to give my gut a rest Mm -hmm. and pretty amazing because again the gut has an effect throughout the whole body and right when you give your body a break from foods that you're eating that maybe you don't do so well on or for lots of reasons we know i mean fasting in general can have benefits but i have to say that this is something I think everybody, and you can speak to this, because I don't know if people can just do this to just do it if they want to just reboot their gut health, or if it's really like more prescriptive. But for me, I could see doing this as sort of a reboot or just giving my digestive system a rest here on occasion.
0: Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that I noticed, this is back in that 2018-ish period where I'm first starting to experiment with these meal replacements. And there is this very confining, rigid way of thinking about them. Prescription only, they taste horrid, they're used for severe cases, usually exclusively for two weeks. And as I started looking more into the research literature, in some Crohn's studies, uh, Crohn's is just a, a subset of inflammatory bowel disease. Right. In children actually, they were having children replace about half their calories in a day with these shakes for a long period of time, for about three years of a follow-up in some of these studies. Wow. So if you think about it, how many people make a shake every morning and that's for breakfast? Right. So they're already replacing a half to a third of their calories with a shake anyway. So Mm -hmm. this isn't a foreign concept. This is something people are doing all the Mm -hmm. time. And Mm -hmm. then we have the safety data from the Crohn's research. And so what I started doing was thinking about this outside of the box. Mm -hmm. Do we always have to do this two weeks or can we, like you just said, use this for a day or two or three exclusively Mm -hmm. and then kind of do my morning meal replacement smoothie with one of these shakes. And you can absolutely do that. It works very well. And I think the most important thing here is for people not to put themselves in a certain box with, I can only use the elemental diet this way, but really, and this is what I tell patients in the clinic, play with it. Some people, they will do three days exclusively and feel awesome. And then some people at at nighttime, they're saying, oh, if I could just have one small meal, I'd feel so much better. Okay. Have the small meal. You're still taking a huge step to reduce the load on your gut by having this all day and then having a whole foods dinner. So there's a lot of flexibility.
1: Yeah. Okay, good. And that's another thing that I really, really liked about it because my preconceived concept was that i would have to do it for two weeks and there's just no way i I don't think many people could do that right
0: it's a tall order absolutely
1: right and some people i think have that ability and discipline and whatnot but i can wrap my brain around three or four days and even five to seven days i can wrap my brain around it and i gotta say that once you do it you actually realize that it's easier than you thought and how great you feel. So I was ready then to go for more days. And I just think the fact that there's some flexibility on this is great because it really allows you to give your gut a rest. And how often do we do that? Some people never do that in their entire lives.
0: Another thing I think people don't appreciate, they think, oh, I've got to wait until it's a good time to do this. I've done this a couple of times myself, and I've had laser-like focus and yeah. great energy. Me and too. Yeah, and it's super simple. You just have your shaker bottle there and you kind of sip on your shake throughout the morning. And That's because- right. because presumably you're reducing inflammation yep. you're not having remember back to that food reactive brain fog and fatigue we discussed yeah. earlier yeah. that's now gone so fatigue and energy are actually better that's yeah.
1: exactly how i felt i felt like i had all this brain energy and just kind of energy in, in general instead of that sluggish especially like after you eat sometimes and i wanted more of that like more of that clarity
0: yeah it doesn't
1: <laughs> right and so i think equally as important is what do you do when you're coming off of those days like you don't want to reintroduce gluten and dairy and all these pro-inflammatory reactive type foods. So I'm assuming, I know that you do do this, but in your clinic, you help people figure out what foods they need to avoid and then like a therapeutic protocol going forward so that they don't revert back to this massive inflammation, discomfort, those kinds of things.
0: That's maybe a good segue into probiotics because one of the things that isn't documented in, in the probiotic literature is the ability for people with lactose intolerance to better tolerate dairy after a course on probiotics. So there's multiple ways we can get to that point where people are more tolerant to their diet. Firstly, don't eat the garbage, right? That's the most important thing. Right. But then from there, there is nuance. There are some people who will go on a full-blown paleo diet with lots of vegetables, and they actually feel worse. Oh, yeah. Too much roughage for their too gut. Too roughage, so, yeah. Yeah, so there is that nuance of are you paleo or maybe are you like mm-hmm. a low FODMAP type application. But then there's also... Things like the elemental diet can help with progressive healing of the gut, Mm -hmm. thus allowing you to tolerate more of those foods. And probiotics piggyback and can be used right along with that as another tool to improve someone's tolerance. And I myself, I take the three different probiotics that we've formulated, I take every morning. And I've noticed, for me, I used to get this occasional, again, food-reactive brain fog. And I got really tired of saying, Well, maybe it's the coffee at Pete's Coffee, but not the coffee at Starbucks that makes me feel this way. Or maybe it's when I have this and you just feel like you're going crazy sometimes because there's no rhyme or reason. The rhyme or reason can be that your gut's just not as healthy as it should be. And once it is healthier, that non-rhyme or reason to the reactive foods is figured out because it wasn't the foods, it was your gut. And for me, it's it's a great feeling not to have to worry about what I eat so much because my gut is just a lot healthier
1: yeah could not agree more, and just being able to enjoy food more, like not feeling awful every time you eat or having all of those signs and symptoms of lethargy. And I mean, if you take care of your gut and you get it built back to a healthy, strong, defensive state, then guess what? You're going to enjoy food more, which is huge
0: hundred percent, and that's one of the most common themes with the patients that we see in the clinic is they wanna be able to broaden their diet. Many of the patients we see are they're really sharp and they've they've mm-hmm. gone paleo, they've maybe gone autoimmune paleo right. or low FODMAP map or S C D and they figured out a diet that works decently well for them, but they say, you know, geez doc, I, I feel okay if I eat Paleo, low-fab, low-histamine oxalate. <laughs> but I'd love to be able to branch out a little bit, and that's a big part of where we start using these tools like elemental dieting right. or probiotics to rectify those imbalances mm-hmm. so they can actually expand their diet.
1: So I want to make sure people know they can go to DrRuccio.com to purchase the elemental products, correct?
0: Yep, you'll see DrRuccio.com. There is a link through to our gut reset guide, which is where we walk people through how to use the elemental diets, and also our probiotic starter guide, where we walk people through how to use probiotics.
1: Okay, excellent. So they don't need to necessarily have an appointment with you, but you have it all set up, really, for people to get educated on how to do this. Yeah, I
0: mean, there's so much people can do without needing me. Right. I'm flattered that people want to work with me and that it's all fine and good, but if I'm being totally honest, if someone waits about six to eight months to be seen at, at the office, and all we do is just have them use probiotics effectively, and two months later they're feeling completely well, like yeah. Phyllis's case study, which we recently published on our website. Yep. It's like, geez, you know, this, this shouldn't be happening, right? People should have better information. And that's a big impetus behind sharing these things with people. Yeah. Like, here's what I do in the clinic. Here's what works. You don't need me for a lot of this. That's Go ahead huge. and do it on your own.
1: That's so huge. Yeah. And I mean, again, that's having those tools, the information is great. And also too, cause we're just about out of time here. I wanted to make sure that people know about your podcasts and they also access that through your website.
0: Yeah, right on the homepage, there's a a tab, I think, in the upper menu for either says podcast or Dr. Ruscio radio, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to find, or they can just type into Google Michael Ruscio podcast, and it should come up pretty
1: quickly. Okay, perfect, because we need people to know how to find you and to get all this amazing Mm -hmm. information that you're putting out there. You're definitely the gut go-to and really appreciate your time with us today.
0: Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: Yeah, of course. Well, great. Best of luck to you, Dr. Ruscio. Everybody go visit him at drruscio.com. And we've got it on our Body Talk Radio site as well as the website. So we'll be dropping the podcast. We are all good. Thanks again for joining us.